Welcome to the Rim 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 Pro Reports, the one and only weekly broadcast for the Rim Support Services industry. Bustling with news, views, here's what I believe, and the latest updates. Let's just end. The show is full of interesting information, stories, yes, important product and service reviews, yes, and a cast of industry characters included. Yes. <laughs> Record center operators, shred and destruction vendors, media and electronic vaulters, scanners and imaging providers. Take note, this show is for you. Now here's your host, Tom Adams. Well, I am excited. Today is the day. Today is the first and inaugural episode of the Rim Pro Report. So welcome, welcome to here. I know we've had uh, a number of shows I used as sort of starters to get the, the whole program going and up and working on the iTunes feed and some just to get a firm foundation for the show. But this officially, despite being episode five of the Rim Pro Report, is the inaugural episode, so I want to welcome you to it. I, I'm excited you're here. This show is all about really exploring what's going on in the rim industry and that rim industry is broad it it encompasses so many things and it's really a dynamic and vibrant industry and I, I'm going to use the show as really a way to discover what's going on both in the vendor side of the equation in terms of what are the opportunities out there what are the things that uh, vendors in this industry are providing us as an industry across both shredding destruction, record storage, records management, document, imaging, uh, media vaulting, the, the whole gamut, uh, data protection. We're really, there's there's so many things going on from the perspective of the companies who are actually out there attempting to sell services in this space. But the, the vendor side I'm looking at, what are new products, new services available to uh, shredders, uh, record centers, media centers, scanning and destruction companies. But I also am wanting to really profile people who are doing innovative and interesting things in the industry uh, and people are having success in different ways with different things and I want to talk to them so that you have a chance to hear from them too. Before we go any further I want to tell you what's on today's show. A couple of special guests. First Jim Booth, Executive Director of Prism International. I want to talk to him briefly about what's going on in the uh, the new HIPAA update, what's happening with that and how Prism's responding and how you personally can respond to that. We've got a great interview with Michael Sullivan. Michael Sullivan is one of the young superstars in the industry. He spoke uh, last year or this earlier this year at Prism International and uh, wanted to talk to him about some of the secrets of his success. And then later on in the show, we're going to do a quick dip into the new mailbag, the new Rim Pro Report mailbag, and figure out what's in the old mailbag and and uh, then potentially go out and ask some people who might be able to answer those questions. So that's a special op- opportunity a little bit later in the show. I, I want to say to you that uh, if you have any questions, if you have any any um, buddy that you want to profile, if you want to talk to me about some of the cool stuff you're doing and want to share that with the rest of the industry, uh, just use the show uh, the the show website rimproreport.com that has our direct uh, telephone line. It's also got a forms and ways that you can get a hold of me. This show will be powered by sponsorship, and at this point, if you are interested in being a sponsor of the show, we would love to help you, or we would love to work with you. We believe that, uh, I believe that this is a great opportunity uh, for someone because we'll be talking to everybody on a regular basis. We want you to come back as often as you can. Finally, you can actually, if you have an, uh, if you work with iTunes uh, and you plug things into your MP3 
player from iTunes, then there's a great opportunity. We've already got the show set up to actually download directly to your your iPod or your iPhone. So as long as you're plugging into iTunes on a regular basis and updating, you can actually subscribe to the show via um, the Apple iTunes uh, store website. And through iTunes, as long as you're plugging in, you can subscribe to the show and it will download it automatically. So you don't have to go you know, figure out and come to the website all the time. It'll be on your iPod or your I- iPhone or whatever device you happen to use. So I'm excited that uh, you're here today and I, I want to get right away into uh, having a conversation with Jim Booth. So I am just going to go to the phones right now, give him a call and I'll have him on the line. Jim Booth, are you on the phone? Yes, I am. Uh, nice to hear you. How are you? I'm doing great, Tom. How about yourself? I'm great. Lots going on in the the world of records management, and I I think specifically one of the reasons I wanted to call and have you on our inaugural show is because specifically around HIPAA, there's a lot going on. What's actually going on right now? Right. Uh, Well, uh, people in our association have been living with HIPAA for a long time, but uh, what's what's come to pass recently is um, fines and and um, uh, covered entities um, trying to shift indemnification and liability from themselves onto business associates who do work for them. So um, the, 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 what, what has prompted our campaign is the, um, uh, a new rule that's been issued by Health and Human Services to try and harmonize um, aspects of the privacy rule and the security rule with, uh, with the new High Tech Act that was passed in, in 2008. So um, we, uh, we are using this as an opportunity to comment on other areas of the rule um, that, that stretch beyond just the simple elements that are there now to talk about uh, two issues in particular and then anything else that members want to talk about. But the two that we're stressing are, are this indemnification issue, the covered entity shifting uh, burden of, uh, and responsibility for notification and other things onto business associates. Um, which is not required in the law. And then the second thing is there's a small subgroup of our members that may not um, fall into the category of business associate at all. And uh, we we made an argument uh, when the privacy rule came out in 2003 that uh, that this should receive special consideration. And uh, unfortunately, we we never received a response from Health and Human Services. So we believe there's a certain subgroup that should receive the same exemption that uh, FedEx and UPS and other couriers receive. Uh, they are not considered um, uh, business associates under the HIPAA rules, even though they may transport um, medical uh, protected health information from place to place. Yeah, so so there's potentially the, the opportunity here to really um, set up a provision in the law that supports what we're doing as opposed to putting us in more trouble. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the, uh, this is any time that a new rule is issued, there's a certain period of time where um, the public is asked to comment on the rule, and anyone can comment. It doesn't have to be a business person, doesn't have to be an association, and individuals are welcome to comment as well. And then the agency reviews all of those comments and may amend or, or, or significantly change or even suspend um, the rulemaking until they can get whatever issues have been raised squared away. 
so uh, what we're in the process of now is trying to get Health and Human Services to say in writing that there's no reason at all in the law or in any rule that um, any covered entity needs to shift indemnification onto business associates from themselves and to try to get them to um, uh, offer an interpretation as to what certain of our members that provide very limited services, uh, and basically what we're talking about is is uh, services that are that are at the box level only and don't right. involve any kind of metadata or anything, um, as as being not business associates. So right. th- that's that's kind of where we're at. Okay, and so I, my my understanding is Prism is attempting to lead a charge in terms of the membership and anyone associated in any way, shape, or form with Prism to try and uh, respond to this. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're we're we've just kicked the campaign off uh, two weeks ago and uh, had our first conference call to try and inform uh, our members about the issue yesterday. Um, went very well, and uh, uh, so we're, we're having another one of those calls at 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the 29th of July, and then we'll have more beyond that uh, if they're needed. The, the comment period actually closes on the 10th of September, uh, so any work we do and any comments we make have to fall in that time period. Um, but non-members, of course, are welcome to participate as well, and... Um, We've put on our website um, a, uh, a resources page. And that's that, the, uh, uh, the HIPAA campaign key point page? Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's right. Yeah, so uh, maybe if you've got a yeah, website, I'll, you could post that. Yeah, or, I'll make that link available as well. That's great. Yeah, that's super. So is there anyone sort of opposing this? Uh, is there anyone opposing? Well, sort of uh, what, what we're attempting to, uh, to make sure we um, – you know, we fight for, is anyone sort of saying the opposite anywhere that we're I don't aware know of? If, I don't know if there's an organized opposition or not to the indemnification issue. This is more a point of practice among some covered entities, not all covered entities, but we've actually received sample um, business associate agreements issued by covered entities, and I wrote a white paper, uh, which is available for free from that same site, um, that you spoke of earlier, um, that, that goes into um, the issue and, and sort of identifies or flags certain issues that are contained in, a cover, in covered, some covered entity-issued agreements that are not part of the basic language that's required by Health and Human Services. Yeah, okay. So it sort of flags those issues. Okay. Wow. Well, so this is, from, from your perspective in the role you play, this is a, a pretty big issue. Well, it is. It could be very significant. Um, I, I don't know if folks may be, may be aware that um, several days ago uh, in Boston there was a, a data breach involving about 800,000 medical records. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the estimated cost so far, I mean, nobody knows for sure yet, but the estimated cost for, for the notification of those people whose information was involved could run as high as $80 million. So there's not, there's not a real great way to buy insurance for that kind of breach. And obviously, when you're dealing with data tapes or some other kind of compact medium, uh, the, the number of records involved could run well in excess of 800,000. So it's, there are very big risks involved. And anything that we can work actively to do to mitigate those risks to benefit our members and the industry as a whole, we want to be involved in. Right. Very cool. Uh, any, any, any sort of final encouragement or final information around this particular issue that would be helpful? Absolutely. Uh, we would we would be delighted for members, non-members, anyone who has an interest in responding here um, uh, to deal with our our, uh, our particular issues. To please contact Prism or make use of the free resources page. There is a sample letter template that's already pre-addressed that can be used. There's a checklist of things that can be touched on there. 
there are resource uh, white papers and and uh, the the rule itself that can all be downloaded from that page. So um, all that is available, and uh, we would just ask that if someone is going to respond, please, whether you're a member or not, send Prism a copy of your letter or email so we have it on file. Yeah, that, we'll that really helps that. you to make sure you, you know what kind of response we're getting, right? That's exactly right. And, and we, we plan to approach, um, and I've already had conversations with the Small Business Administration Office of Advocacy, um, who are who are glad to help us with this issue if uh, if there's a, a true small business issue involved. So we want to be able to show uh, show our work and, and indicate that there is a small business issue involved. Wow, that's great. Yeah, the, the, the page on the PRISM website is extremely helpful. It covers so many things, the, the capability of taking the, you know, the sample letters, and you've actually shown some, some other ones what people specifically said, uh, giving different ways for people to respond. That, that's fabulous. And that's at prismintl.org. And then I, I think from the homepage you can reach it, but it's 2010-HIPAA-campaign-key-points. That's the one. And we'll have a link on the RIMPRO report site. Hey, Jim, thank you for that. Any Anything else uh, interesting going on at uh, PRISM these days? Never a dull moment, you know, but uh, we're just trying to work. This is our main issue. We're trying to keep our nose to the grindstone here. But for folks who are interested in upcoming events, please have a look at our events page. We, we've definitely got the Greece conference coming up and also our data protection workshop, which will be in October in Winston-Salem, and then a Fundamentals of Record Center Management program in December. Very cool. Well, Jim, I appreciate it. Thanks again for your input today. And uh, we will uh, check back in as, as things go along on this and make sure we're doing well on it. Fantastic. I Thank appreciate you, it. All right. You cheers. Bet. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, along with uh, what we just heard from Jim Booth, here's the uh, RIMPRO Report news of the week. Nade looks like it's uh, also mobilizing response to this whole HIPAA thing. And uh, if you're part of the Nade Association, be sure to check out what they're doing uh, in terms of responding to this whole HIPAA rule uh, issue. Uh, Nade's also moved their 2011 conference in March from Nashville. The uh, Grand Old Opry Hotel, I guess, was uh, was affected by the the floods there recently and that's been changed so they're moving to orlando for the conference in march interestingly enough nades also just released a lot of their educational materials for their brand new certified secure destruction specialist certification i don't even know if i said that right but that sounded pretty good and they actually just this week released the preliminary education materials uh, to help People start figuring out how to get that designation. So pretty cool stuff from Nade. Speaking of education, this uh, this is interesting as well. Southern Arkansas University Tech uh, is now offering a electronic data storage certificate of proficiency program uh, that's been created in collaboration with Prism uh, and some of the other data storage industries um, participants. So that that's kind of cool. It's a online certificate program so many of the companies in the uh, secure vaulting and uh, media management space might be interested in some of their salespeople or others getting involved in that so there you have it there's the news for the week i'm excited today to have michael sullivan on the show michael runs automated records in state college pennsylvania and i am glad to welcome him to the rim pro report today mike are you there 
I am, Tom. Hey, glad to have you on the show. I'm excited to talk to you because I know uh, from watching you and listening to you, I know even at the uh, conference at PRISM this last May, you were a featured speaker, and I, I know you're doing some cool stuff. So tell me a little bit about your company, and then I want to hear a little bit about some of the cool stuff you're doing. Sure. Well, we're, um, I guess, considered a small market uh, record center. Uh, we're based in central Pennsylvania, so we don't have uh, the large cities to um, draw from, but we have multiple uh, small markets. And we're doing some pretty cool things, not only on the hard copy uh, side of the business, but we're now, I think, encompassing a broad base of uh, storing storing the records to imaging to shredding the documents, providing uh media vault storages as well as uh, data backup, uh, remote data backup as well. So you're really offering the full package of services that, that a, a, a RIM service company would be offering? Yeah, I, I think we are. And I say and finally uh, we are because we didn't start out that way. Actually, um, the company we started out in the moving, I started out in the moving and storage industry looking for that special niche. And discovered it back in 1997 as we started getting into the storage of hard copy records for our clients. And it really wasn't until 2004 that we really started to expand on our services and broaden our, our line of offerings to each of the areas I just discussed. So um, are you still in the moving business? No. Okay. Uh, actually, I, I sold the moving business in 2006. But it was back in 2004 where I started recognizing that um, the business model I had, the lifestyle, um, that I wanted to make some uh, some changes and fairly drastic changes. Uh, for those people that know the movie and storage industry, it's kind of a crazy racket. Yeah. Uh, you spend you know five to seven months a year just running like crazy. Yeah. And you spend another five months kind of recouping and gearing up for those seven months again. So from a business standpoint, um, we start out the first four months uh, losing a lot of money. And then hmm. we make it all back and then some, hopefully, uh, during the next seven months. And that can be uh, completely draining on your on your system, I would think. Well, it's it's exhausting, uh, particularly when, you know, I love the summertime. I love to be outdoors. I love to run and uh, be very, uh, very active. Yeah, you're a marathon man, aren't you? I do a little bit of marathon running as well. I've heard and, that. I've uh, heard you've done like 80, 800 marathons in your life or something. That wasn't 800, but it's somewhere more in the realm of about 30. But <laughs> oh, 30, 3,800, they're all the same. Maybe if you're crazy enough to run like that far on a on a race, then you're crazy. Well, I think it just falls into my um, you know my makeup. I, I love to be active. I love to compete, and um, I love to be challenged. So and the moving I, the moving business didn't quite do that for you. Well, it did, but what I found was you know we could work hard. Uh, but is there enough time to play hard? Right. And we worked incredibly hard in an industry where the rewards just don't, um, you know, justify the means. So, as I started to say earlier, I, I, I got into the moving business looking for a niche because when I got into the moving business it was back in the late 1980s. Yeah. And it was a family business that was extremely operations driven. And in a market this is where we were, I just looked at that and said, well, there's a tremendous amount of potential because they haven't even started to tap. Um, you know, a lot of corporate accounts and opportunities that were out there simply because they didn't market. Many, many in the moving industry always, you know, just relied on the fact that uh, they had trucks, they had a specialized service, and they had an ability to do things that, you know, the ordinary person uh, didn't. 
Um, but again, very operations driven. You kind of hung your hat on that. And we, I got when I came into the business, I really focused on building relationships more on the corporate side okay. and building and building the business in that way. So it was fun because I come from a marketing background. I mean, my, my studies in school, I had uh, graduated from Penn State back in the mid '80s in marketing and management, and the marketing was the piece that I really gravitated towards. So being able to take some of uh, that knowledge and start implementing it, I was able to see some significant um, results very quickly in the moving business because it was all new to us. Yeah. Okay. So bringing it back into the current world, so we've got a sense of where you've come from. We've got a sense of uh, the stuff you're doing. But I guess what I'm I'm looking and, and wanting to hear from you is, uh, with what you're doing right now, is there a secret of success? Is there something that you're learning or something that you're implementing or something that you're doing right now that's particularly exciting to you or you feel has really been a, a catalyst to really moving you off of sort of stasis or s- staying in a place that, that just you're you're existing, you're doing something cool? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I think, I think what it really comes down to is Finally, and again, after having sold the moving business, the whole uh, point there was to move into the, uh, the records management industry and do it in a, in a bigger way. Yeah. And the, my whole idea was to learn how to really work on my business, not in my business. Okay. And once I really grasped what that meant and started to implement some of the changes that we needed to make, that's when it really became fun. And it really became fun on uh, fun on a whole lot of levels. Uh, one, profit, profits uh, jumped considerably. Um, my time spent in the business became much more focused, and uh, we started seeing just some drastic results in the way we were approaching our business. And from a lifestyle standpoint, too, I was doing the things that I absolutely loved again. And I just go back to the moving business just for a moment, because as I grew that business, I went from front-end sales and marketing to that we were so big that I was constantly in the back room putting out fires, right. uh, making, you know, doing things that constantly needed to be done to enhance where we're going. But it really drew me away from where, where I really wanted to be. Right. So I committed to myself when I got into the records management on a full-time basis that I was going to build a model that truly worked uh, for me. And not just for me, but for all the people that I would incorporate into the organization. Yeah. So, so oh. you said you said one thing though that I just want to make sure I, I go back and understand because it, it's I, I think it's become so much of a cliche term now, but it's really effectively done something for you, and that is work on the business, not in the business. Uh, how did you sort of make that? How did you flesh that out? How did that become a reality for you? Because it's easy to sort of spend one day a year in some kind of strategic thinking and go, I've worked on my business. Um, how did you do it in such a way that you get the results you just talked about, which is better profits, uh, time to play like you want to play, to run your marathons, all that kind of stuff to make the kind of money that, that, that you can make in this industry. But how, how did you translate that? Well, it was interesting because I had to dig a little bit. You know, I, I talked to some people that I uh, highly respected just in my local community. Um, AccuWeather is a company that's worldwide. Yeah. And just even talking with, their um, CEO yeah. and talking to him, asking him, you know, how did he get to where he is, and asking him about um, you know, writing a business plan and so on. He said, you know, he always had a business plan, but it was really it was in his head. Oh, okay. And of course, that's where my business plan had been for so many years. But I think if you work really, really hard and you know bring a lot of energy, 
that even in spite of some of the shortcomings, you can still be very, very successful. Right. I, I was committed to make sure that uh, I was going to be successful, not my, just in my own right, but make, build a successful model and organization that my employees can really flourish in as well. Oh, okay. And so when I built this model, I, started, I looked at it first in terms of, you know, what are the key components to it? And obviously we have operations and finance and marketing and so on um, and sales. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I think that really uh, worked for me was when I was ready and willing to acknowledge that marketing was a critical component to my business, not just a add-on that, okay, gee, if our profits are such, then maybe we can throw some money at marketing to support our sales. Um, in fact, we took a completely different approach and said it's inherent that we have a strict uh, and comprehensive marketing plan to support our sales for the single reason that my background had been in sales and I really felt like I could build a model and be my number one salesperson. Right. So with this business, I really spent a lot of time uh, kind of strengthening our operations so that on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, I don't have to be entrenched in, in, you know, in the back room with Ugh. operations. I, but, I think that's such a cool way of thinking because I, I, I think it's, it's where so many people uh, and in, in what I see on a regular basis is, is that tendency to get stuck in the back room and really the highest, to me, the highest leverage point in your business is marketing. It's the place where you can turn, turn huge um, results if you get it right. Yeah, and I would say you know what, what's really important is for any entrepreneur or business owner or key um, you know person in the company is to be willing to admit and acknowledge what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. Because for me to be you know quote unquote caught in the back room in operations, it truly is kind of being stuck back there because the operations, while I understand it well and can manage it. It's not my forte. So to put the right people in back there that can really flourish, that that's exactly what they do, um, that's what, in our case, that's what we needed to do. And me being more the marketer and the salesperson, I need to be out front. I need to be the face and uh, the ever-present message, you know, messenger within our organization. Now, for other organizations, if if the, you know, the leaders of that organization are not marketing or sales driven, well, then they need to be able to put the right people and right pieces in place to right. drive the marketing. Right. Because, it's, again, it's not a, um, you know, an extra add-on. It's, it's inherent and imperative that we have a strong marketing um, um, component to our organization. Yeah. But, again, if, if their expertise is in the operations, then, then by all means, you know, get in, engage, embrace your operations, yet go out and, and put the – the appropriate people in place that can really drive your marketing. So let me let me make sure I, I, I understand this and, and clarify it because I, I, I think the point is so incredibly important, and that is uh, make sure you understand the elements of the business that are critical to making it run, and, and you, you kind of delineated those in terms of operations, the difference between operations and sales and, and marketing. And, and I think what I've heard you say is you've gone then and al- – you know, built the operations to support what needed to be done, but you've aligned yourself personally uh, in a way that produces the optimal results for your company. Absolutely. And then I think we've taken it uh, even a step further 
by looking at you know what we have for resources and leveraging them to I think what we think are um, you know for maximum benefit. So yeah, in the past I've spent a lot of time out banging on doors, cold calling, doing your uh, you know picking up the phone and just dial, basically dialing for numbers. Yeah. Try to get and get an appointment. And what we recognize as well is that um, if we really position ourselves, meaning you know me and the company, that uh, we really by having a really strong marketing uh, component to the organization, that we can really tee up the sales opportunities. Oh yeah. So yeah. even as much as I like to sell, I don't want to spend a lot of time out there knocking on doors and cold calling and getting that you know one out of ten successes or one out of twenty, whatever the numbers may be, in the varying ways. Really, what we ultimately learned was that if we really took our marketing and positioned it in such a way that it really would set up our sales efforts yeah. that we would see incredibly, um, you know, increased results. Yeah. And in fact, that's what we've done. And then I think over time we've really continued to hone and, and fine tune, um, you know, not just our message, but you know, who our audience is and then ultimately you know, how we deliver our message. And in this day and age, it's, it's challenging because we're being asked, you know, to try to deliver that in so many different ways. Oh, but yeah. we've really had to kind of hone in on and say, what are the, you know, five, six, or seven ways that are going to produce the greatest results for us in terms of delivering our message? Yeah. Well, I, I am, uh, from, uh, as I have watched you, I, I have been incredibly impressed at the, uh, the stuff you've been doing. And uh, I'm going to encourage those who are listening right now just to even – uh, go to your website and see some of the interesting stuff. I, I love your your um, your beer pouring um, YouTube video, and and I guess the thing that that's so appealing to me in what you're doing is that you have decided somewhere along the way that you you that the uh, fun and interesting and unique and doing stuff in a slightly different way uh, did not diminish your your success. In fact, I. I it looks like to me you you keep pouring it on and um and that that's so cool yeah I, I think what when the rubber kind of met the road for us was when we recognized that being professional and the best of what we do had to we had to incorporate something a little bit different a little bit unique right because for years we you know we did direct mail and number ten envelope and you know, we had, we got the results we got. But when we actually started trying to step out and be a little bit different, um, what we found was really what we're trying to do is um, gather attention. Yeah. Because after all, that's what we're trying to do. And we, I think we gather and we gain people's attention um, by doing things a little bit differently, a little bit unique. Um, and at the same time, we're building rapport with those things. So, like for us to do a direct mail campaign now, we're sending out uh, our latest is we're sending out Rubik's cubes, and it's just um, you know we may start a letter out with you know, while it may be puzzling to you where you could find you know where to find additional profits, it's it it can be a lot easier than trying to solve this Rubik's cube. Right. But just some different things that, that 
when when it shows up, it's not a number ten envelope. So they feel there's something in there. There's something yeah. substance in there. It grabs and their attention. And it's exactly what you said. You, your goal in marketing is to set up your sales, and the only way you can set up sales is to have people's attention and to have them predisposed to talking and working with you in some way or another. And you're doing that. So much of the other stuff that passes people's desk gets lost in the shuffle. Where a Rubik's cube. Uh, a bottle of beer, the different kinds of stuff I, I know you've been doing, those things get noticed and they get responded to. And uh, I, I think it's probably valuable to to you know be aware that just in doing those things themselves doesn't get you the result. It's how it ties in, is it not? Absolutely. I mean, what, what you send out, you, you absolutely want it to tie back in to the purpose of your letter and the purpose of your presentation and so on. But really what we're finding are remarkable responses to our campaigns now because as we follow up our direct mail campaigns with our telemarketing and I guess to be clear you know each one of our marketing uh, tactics now uh, tie into one another where for years they really didn't we had some people in the back room or even outsourcing telemarketing calls and we had our salespeople doing cold calling on a whole other area of the organization, and then we had some girls in the office doing some direct mail campaigns, and none of them really tied together. Right. But really, when we started to become more strategic and having our telemarketing follow up the direct mail campaigns, we started to see tremendous success with that. And what we recognized was we, we, you know, we would create what we thought was a really cool letter and a really cool gift, yeah. and we would send it out, and we would get a lack of response. And we bang our heads against the wall trying to say, well, why isn't this thing working? Right. Why aren't people calling us with it? And by and large, you know, when we think about our own lives and busy schedules, we get a lot of things across our desk yeah. that are of interest to us. But we have other things that are just uh, pressing and taking, um, taking the time. So we don't get to it. So it continually sits there. And I find that if I have somebody that sends me something and they follow up with a phone call, uh, even if not just once but twice, that I end up just like my customer. I'm like, yeah, I absolutely want to talk to you. I need to talk to you because I've been predisposed to what you ha they have to offer. Right. And so when we start thinking about our, you know, our prospects like us, it's only natural then. We need to follow this up with a phone call. Well, and, and it's we'll it's the belief, too, that, that one and done will get people's attention. And I, I, think, I think that whole concept, if we have something valuable to offer and we believe that the people we're sending it to uh, will find meaning in it, then we can't assume that sending something to someone once will get the job done. Well, without a doubt, you know, we're still kind of testing, do we send something and call, send a second piece and call, uh, or do we send four or five pieces and then make the call? Right. We've had success with sending the four or five pieces where we've actually had people, when we've gone in for an appointment, apologize to us for not having called us. That's hilarious. But they just knew from the level um, of marketing that we were doing that we were sure to call, we would be sure to call them. Right. In fact, they were right with it, but that just solidified for us then that we need to follow up everything that we do yeah. with with a phone call. Yeah, and and, and I think the, the critical component you're suggesting is where you place your telemarketing. Uh, it's the follow-up sequence to a campaign. It's not the front end of a campaign or it's follow-up sequences within a campaign. Uh, but two points to me are, one, you're campaigning. You're not sending sort of one-shot deals. There's, there's campaign involved and there's follow-up involved, which sets up uh, the meetings. And 
uh, th- those are such. I mean, you're 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 doing some really cool stuff, and uh, I am uh, I, I'm really excited about it. Any any sort of final thoughts in terms of of this whole evolution for you, and and more so less about the evolution, but more about how dramatic the results have been for you. Well, I think one is regardless of what path you t- you choose to take with it, you know, take action. Mm-hmm. That often we feel like we have to make something perfect. We have to, have to create the ideal letter or a postcard, whatever it may be. Um, but we, we feel like we have to create that before we can actually put it out. And what we've found is, you know, getting in the game, you know, starting to participate, we're going to start seeing uh, some successes. And from there, we can kind of hone the pieces and fine-tune what we're putting out there. But from a success standpoint, we just know now that we're absolutely on absolutely on the right track because we went from direct mail campaigns before where we were getting no response to maybe one or two percent yeah and now where we're actually getting and now we're getting 40 percent response and that's probably about an average now when we say response rate that means we're getting an appointment four out of ten times yeah and that that is profound because direct mail sequences and even the big dog marketers if they get a two percent response are blown away by it um and that that is you know it it's not ultimately the response though that drives the business that you know response rates don't in meetings don't put money in the bank but if you get enough meetings from a, a system that you're employing you're going to see some really cool results so way to go on that that's fabulous i appreciate it i guess the other point i would add to it is to uh target your audience now we used to do broad-based mailing yeah and for instance we may take a whole chamber list and send out a direct mail campaign to them. And what we found in the end was a lot of frustration and frustrated because people weren't calling. When we started looking at the list, we started recognizing that really there's only about 10 to 20% of those companies that we really um, were hoping would call. Those are the companies that we really wanted to do business with. So it's kind of like we felt before like the kid in the candy store where you go in and you're so overwhelmed uh, because there's so much candy in there. But target, you know, the best candies. Those are going to make you the happiest. Right. And go right after them. So rather than 2,000, you target those 100 companies. The reality is if those those 100 companies are the right companies and those 100 companies are the companies that are going to change the the scope and the nature of your business, those are the 100 companies that are going to be worth spending the time, you know, and investing and going after. Yeah. So a, a very targeted uh, list of prospects that you continue to campaign to in order to achieve a result and get. So instead of sending thousands and thousands of letters, you're sending to 100 very targeted in a campaign format. That's right. And yeah. what we find at the end of the day is we're actually spending slightly less money on these campaigns than what we were spending on the broad-based campaigns before, yet our return is virtually 40% um, greater. Yow! <laughs> that is sweet. Yeah, the only problem is it's one of those things where if I only knew then what I know now. <laughs> yeah, how big you could be. Oh, that's so cool. Well, Mike, I am uh, very appreciative of you sharing that with us. I I could probably go on for hours with you because this is really cool stuff, but I got a show to keep doing. So, hey, thanks for spending the time. I am uh, I'm going to keep watching, see how you're doing, and uh, keep us keep us in the loop because I, I think what you're doing is really cool, and I think everyone who's listening can benefit from it so hey 
uh, continued success, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Tom. You can get a glimpse of a little bit more of what Mike Sullivan's like by checking out the Automated Records website. That's at automatedrecords.com. If I can give you one piece of advice when you go to that site is look for on the homepage a link that says watch our St. Patrick's Day video. That video will give you a little bit of an idea of the kind of innovative stuff that Mike's doing to create connection, create personality and brand himself in his community as as not just a leader in the records management space, but a personality as well. Um, you'll also discover if you dig around that site long enough that he's doing some really innovative stuff that is worthy of watching. And so uh, check it out uh, at your convenience. All right, let's go to the old mailbag. I've got uh, some mail this week, so let's check that out. The mail! The mail is here! Ooh. All right, well, we uh, we get mail on a regular basis here at the RimPro Report, and uh, frankly, because this is such a new show, uh, not much mail showed up this week, so I went and asked some people what was one of the questions that they wished they had a good answer to, And uh, I decided that rather than, um, based on this question, rather than go and sort of figure out the answer for myself, why not talk to probably the expert on this question as it relates to pricing in our industry. So I'm going to call the sales expert, Ray Berry of Shred School. No doubt he'll likely have a good answer for us. So I'm going to try and reach him on the phone. Just uh, let me dial him here. Ready? Um, Here we go. Hey, Ray, Tom Adams from uh, RimPro Report. How are you? Good. What's going on, Tom? Hey, Good you to know, hear from you, man. Yeah, well, I, I just want you to know we're recording live right now our the RimPro Report, and I wanted to check in with you because in our mailbag today, uh, we had a question that I think you're probably the best guy to answer this, and so uh, I hope you don't mind me interrupting you. Not at all. Always got time for Mr. Adams. All right, so what's going on today? Anything, anything kind of cool and exciting? Well, things are happening at Sh- at Shred School and at Shred Quarters, as I like to call it. Good. But uh, always got time to answer any questions to hopefully uh, to help your listeners out there. Okay, well let's let's ask one because this one I I think it, it relates to the economy. Uh, it relates to uh, I think in some ways the continual evolution of as as businesses mature, the evolution towards more commodity based pricing, and there's this sense that buyers keep shopping for price. So I. I was asked a question earlier today when I was talking to someone, and um, they they were they were expressing their, you know, their concern with trying to sell for the lowest price or not trying to sell for the lowest price. They they can't afford to last in their business if they keep sort of scraping the bottom in terms of their prices. So their question was, how do you create enough value so? that these price objections show up less and less? Or maybe the big question is, what's the best way to overcome the price objection? Well, that's a great question. And, Tom, I, I get that question a good bit, of just in the records management and in the, in the destruction industry as well. Yeah. And your price is too high. is probably the most popular objection that we all face out there. But believe it or not, and, Tom, I think you know this, but, but you know a lot of people don't know this, is that, that's really not the top priority for most of our clients out there is to get the lowest record storage price or get the lowest shredding price. 
The problem is, is the decision maker that we're talking to doesn't know enough about the industry and know uh-huh. enough about the differences right. between the two industries or between the, all of the different competitors that they are looking at. So our job as a sales professional in our industry or as a business owner or a business development manager is to create that value, create that difference, the, as I like to call it, the, the gap difference between the two competitors or between the eight competitors. One of my favorite sales trainers and sales, sales authors is Jeffrey Gittimer, Little yeah. Red Book of Selling. Yeah. And I always uh, educate my team on one of the biggest percentages that he talks about. He says that 30% of your prospects are going to buy lowest price no matter what, right? Right. Well, that's the bad news. The good news is that means if 30%, we've got another 70% that are going to buy value if we show it to them. So what we have to do is we've got to do a great job of showing that value to them. And some of the ways that we can show value to them is to be a resource for them, be a perceived expert in our right. market, yeah. um, speaking, writing. Do we have a, a newsletter that goes out to them? On, a, on at least a monthly basis, whether it's email, and I know you're a strong proponent of the hard copy newsletter that yeah. they get in the mail. That really goes a long way, and it can help separate you from, your, from the competitors out there. But, you know, if they see you speaking at their networking event, or if they see you writing an article in their industry publication, their perception of you is much higher than your competition. You can, a lot of times, a lot of times you're clients, your prospective clients will pay more to do business with an expert. The best way that I've ever found to overcome the price objection, and this is really any objection out there, is to have a testimonial to handle it for you. And, you know, the price objection is not new to any of us. Yeah. So why don't, we, why don't we look at the clients that we have and we look at the ones that, you know what, we weren't the cheapest in that situation. Why don't I get ABC medical practice, and knowing that, that our competitors were cheaper than us, but they did business with us anyway, and they love us because they know what the client experience is like to do business with us, why don't we get them to do a video or a written testimonial to handle that objection for me? And it can say something like this. You know, I did business with ABC Shredding Company or ABC Records Management Company, they weren't, although they weren't the cheapest, we decided to do business with them anyway for the following reasons. So, Boy, am I glad we did. Yeah, so the, the uh, testimonial ends up, up countering the objection just with the testimonial. It, it's already preset to counter the testimony or counter the objection. Exactly, and yeah. we have that testimonial already in the presentation or in our proposal or in really in our initial information right. that we want to get to the client. Right. One other way to make it less about price and more about value is to make sure we're engaging the client about them and where the client is talking 80% of the time, not the salesperson. Right. And I think that's what happens a lot of times is that it comes down to price and, you know, sometimes our services look like they're getting commoditized because each salesperson is doing the same thing. They're going in and and they can't the prospect can't tell the difference in value because everybody's going through the same sales process process of just going in and bragging about their company yeah 
And and I I think it it relates back to that whole concept. It's truly a difference between positioning and prospecting. And what we want, and what you know, I, I think you're saying is, uh, by doing some of the things you're doing, by testimonials, by becoming an expert, by uh, consistently communicating, you positioning yourself differently, and thus you have already preset some of the reasons why someone might be more attracted to you than them in the first in, than others in the first place. You know, one last thing I'd like to point out, Tom, if I have, if we we have time, is, you know, we talked about the 30% of prospects that buy lowest price only, and the 70% of prospects that will buy value if yep. we show it to them. Right. Hey, let's let our the the cheap competitors deal with those 30% of the market. Let's don't even waste time with those 30% of the people out there. Why don't we concentrate all of our time, sales time, business development time? on the 70% of people that will buy value. Perfect. Yeah, that's great. Well, you know, I, I realize that sometimes calling you up um, is is a risk, and I know you're a busy man, so thanks for uh, thanks for giving us some, some good response to that. Uh, do you mind every so often if I just call you out of the blue and, and just check in on, on some of these kind of things? Hey, that's what I'm here for, Tom. Yeah. We'd be glad to help, man. All you right. call back anytime, brother. Hey, you're the best. Uh, thanks for that, and uh, I will probably call you again. Thanks, All Ray. Right, buddy. That was Ray Berry from Shred School. You can find out more about him and the work they do at Shred School by going to shredschool.com. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I, I had fun doing it, and I realized how fast the time flies when you start talking about interesting stuff. And so thanks to uh, Jim Booth and to Mike Sullivan and also to Ray Barry for being on the show this week. I look forward to uh, being with you again next week. Again, you can uh, just plug us in via your iPod and automate that whole subscription process. So we show up on your iPod or your iPhone every week without fail once the new show goes live. And uh, if you have anything you want to tell us, if you have anything you want to, to inform us of, go to rimproreport.com. But really what I'm looking for is uh, people who are doing interesting things in the industry. People, you know, if you're having real success in a specific thing you're doing or you found this really cool opportunity and you want to share it, I, I realize sometimes that, that it's probably easier to kind of keep it to yourself, but big world out there and lots of opportunity and I think this industry continues to evolve and change so rapidly that by sharing it sometimes you you do a, a greater service to the industry and to yourself as well so if you've got uh, really cool success stories or you're doing cool stuff let us know we'd love to talk to you about it on the show and if you're a, a vendor in the industry and you sell products to the industry we would love to hear from you because we are going to be profiling on a regular basis new interesting updated innovative products and services that help people within the industry to be better at what they do and to serve uh, our customers more effectively in the end. So thanks again for being here on our inaugural show. It was great. I hope you liked it, and I hope you'll be back next time. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the Rim Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com where you can find show archives and a whole lot more. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Incorporated. Join us again soon.